All right. We just want to welcome everybody here to New Philadelphia Itaewon for today's service. Uh, please keep with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Keep your Bible open to Proverbs chapter 2. And I will be preaching out of the, this chapter today. Um, hey, can we point the uh, AC down? Yeah, point it, point it up. My Bible pages are flying over here. All right. Um, how many of you guys in here? You grew up with an amazing earthly father. You grew up with a really amazing earthly father. He gave you candy. He bought you gifts. He never forgot your birthday. He went to baseball games or, you know, you got an amazing earthly father. Man, God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Okay. Um, I'm guessing the rest of you, about half of you, um, you maybe didn't have such a positive experience. You honor your father, but, you know, you can't quite say that. They were there for you. They spoke good words over you. Uh, actually, how many of you in here, uh, you never really had a relationship with your earthly father? You never really had a relationship with your early, earthly father? Yeah, there are some of us in here that actually didn't really have a relationship with the earthly father. Hey, can you fix the AC, man, or turn it off? All right, sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, for those who either had a bad earthly father or no earthly father... You know how powerful the words of a father are in the negative sense. People who have bad earthly fathers, you guys know that when your father said, Man, why are you so incapable of doing anything? Why, why weren't you able to get straight A's? What are you, dumb? Man, you're not going to amount to nothing. When those kinds of negative words are spoken over your earthly father, uh, by your earthly father over you, you know how difficult of a time it is. It's like an uphill climb. You're born into an uphill climb when you're born with such a father who gives words like that. Because the words of a father, they're powerful. Whether it's powerful in a positive sense or in a negative sense. And there's people in here... We received some really negative words from our mothers and fathers. And it's actually, uh, you, we try to shrug it off and say it wasn't a big deal. It didn't really affect me. But it actually had quite damaging effects upon our hearts, upon our identity, upon, you know, some of us, we got straight A's. But it's because we got straight A's with a chip on our shoulder. Because your father or mother said, you're stupid, you're dumb. And just to prove them wrong, you actually went and got those straight A's. You're actually not that really good in chemistry or math. But you cheated to get those straight A's. Because you just, you just had to prove your parents wrong. You know. Uh, there's a lot of negative effects that people have experienced from their earthly fathers. Because of the words that were spoken over them. And today I'm going to share a word about how much we need 
the words of a father uh, to set us in our true identity and to get us going into our true uh, destiny and purpose and how the words of a father were the ones that damaged us and it's the words of a father that are going to come and heal us. Okay, and so look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Proverbs 2, chapter 1 through 5. It says, my son. So if it's saying my son, it means the person who's saying these words is probably the father. Okay. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This passage here teaches us that if we receive the words of our Father and we learn to treasure them and we make our ear attentive, incline our heart toward Him, call out and raise our voice for it, if we seek it for it, if we seek for it like silver, then we will understand the fear of the Lord and find and gain the knowledge of God. Who ever thought that listening to your earthly father or listening to your uh, spiritual father has any connection with the fear of the Lord or through the, to the knowledge of God? But here, the word of God teaches us so. That if you learn to receive the words of your father and treasure up those commandments, you will find the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Now, um, in other words, the words of a father, a wise father, are the key to understanding the fear of the Lord and to gain the knowledge of God. Now, this could apply to your earthly father. Uh, If you learn to honor the words of your earthly father, especially when you're living under his roof as a child, all right, that will actually bless you to discover the ways of the Lord. But for those who do not have the benefit of an earthly father, it does not mean that you're spiritually broke does not mean that you're lost on your way because your spiritual father can actually fulfill the role that your earthly father missed. It's just the way God does things. For those in here who never even have a relationship with your father, your earthly father, you might find it very difficult to relate to God as father. You might find it very difficult to relate to your pastor as your spiritual father because you're just sort of like, man, I never even had an earthly father. I don't have a model to go on. But here's the thing, you're already experiencing the model as you relate to your spiritual father, as you receive the words of your spiritual father. Um, In fact, for everybody in here, whether you had a good earthly father or not, as you grow into an adult and you leave your father's house, and you go out and you join the, uh, uh, the membership of a local congregation... You now are spending the majority of your time not in your earthly father's house, but in your spiritual father's house. And so as you come of age and as you become an adult, the words of your spiritual father are going to have bigger and bigger and more and more prominence in your life. And rightly so. Because you're interacting with them. And actually, um, every good church has a good vision. We, our vision is to raise up an army of mighty warriors. All right, it's a good vision. 
in the spirit of Isaiah 61. Uh, we got a good vision, and the responsibility of the set man of the house is to steward that vision. Uh, every good spiritual father of a house is to steward the vision and to take the congregation toward the vision. And if the spiritual father of the house does that faithfully, and the congregation members are helping to fulfill the vision of the house and move toward the vision of the house, what ends up happening is the individual callings of the house get fulfilled. You know, a lot of us think that our individual callings are independent of the church's calling. But that's where we're wrong. They're intertwined and interconnected. Is there a word like that, interconnected? It's a good word. And I just used it and... Um, We have to understand that when the church's calling prospers, then our individual callings also prosper. And so you might be like, well, why should I sow in an offering toward the church building fund when I need to save up money for my dream of becoming a famous singer? My dream of being a famous actor. And what you, what you don't understand is if you would just sow in your offering... Your dream, you'll actually be walking and you'll be getting closer to your dream. You fulfill the vision of God's house. You, you, you start building his house and God will begin to bless you and prosper you in your individual callings. It's all interconnected. And one of the ways in which the spiritual father of a house mobilizes the house toward the vision is through the use of words. Now, every single week... I give you guys a lot of words. At uh, Sunday Swim at Hillside, I talk, 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 talk. And I lead prayer topics. And sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm leading a prayer topic. It just seems like I'm lecturing. It seems like I'm preaching. Because I spend like 15 minutes like telling you about the topic. And then we spend two minutes praying. (laughs) I give you guys a lot of words every single week. Friday fire, when I lead prayer, I give you guys a lot of words. Um, excuse me, on Sunday services, you know, I'm preaching, leading prayer, you know, I'm giving you guys a lot of words. I'm shepherding you through my words. What else can I use, really, if you think about it? What, am I going to use money? Am I going to shepherd you with money? Hey, Ted, I know you're struggling with depression. Here's a hundred dollars if you get, if you will heal yourself from that. If you will get out of that pressure, I, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Let me use my money to heal the house. That don't make no sense. I use words to bring healing deliverance to the house. I use words to shepherd your soul in the direction God wants you to go. The words of a spiritual father, they're powerful. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need to receive the words of the father. Proverbs chapter 2 here, it begins with, my son, if you receive my words. And if you keep reading the whole chapter, I mean, it it says here, um, God is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. I mean, it all begins with if. My son, if. If you what? If you receive my words. You receive my words, you remember my words, you treasure up my words, you walk in the wisdom of my words, you gain understanding, you gain wisdom, you go get it, and you live by it. And God will watch over the way of his saints. 
you will understand righteousness and justice. There's just so many um, if-then parallels here. And if you actually look on chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, they all begin or are packed with a father speaking to his son. So in other words, Proverbs, uh, even chapter 1, but you know, technically chapters 2 to 7, they are all the words of a father speaking to his son. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Uh, chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words. The words of a father, they're powerful. They set people straight. The words of a father bring healing from the damages that were done by the words of a father. Uh, in John 6.63, Jesus said, The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. They are spirit and life. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, if you think about it, Jesus was a spiritual father to his disciples. He didn't just have the 12 apostles. I mean, there were hundreds of disciples that were following him around. And a lot of them, by the way, were women. And the Bible actually says that many others, that means there were many women that actually followed Jesus around. And Jesus had no problem teaching the women. Jesus had no problem having them learn and get education. Even though men, uh, until very recently, had a problem with women getting education because they thought women are inferior or women are not as smart to be able to handle and steward education, we have found today that that's not so. <laughs> women do fine with an education. There are women CEOs, there's women presidents, and they all seem to be handling pretty good. Anyway, Jesus was followed by all these disciples, and he was a spiritual father to them. And he tells them, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. Now, what does this mean? The words that I speak to you are spirit. What does that mean? Well, I want to propose to you, it means that, one sense, it's like the more words you have from your spiritual father, the more of your spiritual father's spirit you have. Because the words are spirit. So you have more of his words in you, then you have more of his spirit in you. Meaning that you know when you come to a problem, a hardship, a situation, and you look upon it, if you have enough of your spiritual father's words in you, you have his spirit so you're able to know exactly what the spiritual father will do in that situation. Do you hear what I'm saying? The more words you have, the more of his spirit you carry. And here in this house... We're raising up sons. We're raising up brothers and sisters that will walk in the spirit of sonship. Not just in the spirit of servanthood. Servanthood has to do with doing, 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 serving, serving, serving. We want people to have the heart of servanthood, but the spirit of sonship. I mean, the Bible never talks about the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the spirit of servanthood will overflow through you. No, it talks about the spirit of sonship. Because sonship is actually our identity. Servanthood is what we do, but it's not actually who we are. Jesus actually said, I, don't, I, don't, I no longer call you servants, but friends. 
Why? Because there was a deep intimacy that he had with his disciples. Now, um, let me not, not get ahead of myself here. Uh, the words that I speak to you are spirit. Uh, this means that when you receive the words of your spiritual father, these are not just sounds that are, are spoken out through the mouth, heard by the ear, processed by the mind. You know, the words actually have spiritual power. Meaning even when you don't understand the words that are coming out my mouth, you can get set free. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we do altar calls and I've seen this. And I'll just I'll just say, you know, uh, I pray in the name of Jesus that the fire of the Holy Spirit will set this person free. Right. Or I don't know. I'll just say something like that. And I just pray for people and they just get blasted by the power of God. And they start crying and weeping and shaking. They might even fall on the ground and start flopping like a fish. Right. They're get up. Not understand, not even remember what I actually said. But then they feel like, oh, I feel so much peace. There was this depression that I carried into the room today, but I feel healed. Why? Because the words that are spoken are spirit. Meaning that when we speak spiritual words by the spirit of God, those words have spiritual power to set people free from spiritual bondage. You know, spiritual bondage is unseen. You can't see it. When a person carries bondage into the house, you can't really see it. Now, when you talk to them, you might smell it. You might hear it. You might sense it. You might be like, man, this person is in bondage. <laughs> uh, brother, man, you need to sign up get a healing deliverance. You need to sign up for a leadership retreat. Something. You need some help. Get you some help. You might sense it, but when they first come in the room, you don't see it because it's spiritual. Well, here's something else you can't see. Words. You can hear words. You can't see words. But because the, the words that Jesus said, I speak to you, are spirit. Those words, although they are unseen, there's potent dynamite power. Dynamite power. What did I say? Dynamite. 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 Dunamis power to set you free from unseen spiritual strongholds. The words that I speak to you are spirit. And by the way, your friend's words have power. The words of one of your small group members, they have power. But there's such a potency when a spiritual father speaks those same words over you. I mean, you can get the same advice from your friend, from your small group, fellow small group member or something like that. But when your, when your small group leader or your spiritual father or pastor of the house speaks those same words, boom, something gets set free. Something starts breaking off of you. Um, Jesus also said, the words I speak to you are life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You want life abundantly? Then you need to treasure up the words abundantly. Because the words I speak to you are life. The more words you have from your spiritual father, the more life you will have. Somebody say Amen. God wants you to possess life and life abundantly, but it comes through possessing the words of your spiritual father. Now, the reason why Aaron and I have been preaching this uh, is because there's so many of us, we hear the words. We're hearers of the word, but we're not doers of the word. 
I mean, if you really took all of my sermons from this year, and I, I preached the majority of the sermons. Why? Because I'm the set man. I'm the spiritual father of the house. So I, I have to understand and believe that my voice is the most important one that goes out. And even if I don't have a personal relationship with you, even if you're a newcomer coming out for just three weeks, four weeks, here's something that's going on right now. I'm shepherding you with my words. And, and I'm telling you, I see people that come to our, our church brand new, like a noble, you know, like a, like a Zach, you know, they come first Sunday, they come, they hear my words and they just eat it up and they just take it and they possess it. And they're like, wow, it's right, exactly what I need. And they apply it right away. Like Ted Grillo here, right? Matt, Ted, the moment he started coming out, he just took the words that were being preached and he applied it to his life. And then he come back the next week and say, oh, Pastor Christian, I got a testimony to share with you. Following, I have another testimony from the, from the next message you preached. Right? Why? Because he's treasuring up the words of the spiritual father. And, um, but a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people in the church, we take the word, we hear the word, but we tend to bury the word. We tend to think, well, you know, I got a lot of spiritual knowledge up there. So, you know, I got to just shelf it somehow. But in effect, what you do is you bury it. You don't apply it. You don't step out and do it. You don't meditate on it. Here's the thing about words. They're easily forgotten. Unless you have a crazy, incredible, supernatural, autobiographical memory that I saw in 60 Minutes. It is a real gift, by the way. Some people have this crazy, super autobiographical memory where you can name any date in the past. They will tell you what day it is, what happened on that day, and what they were wearing, and who they saw. And, and so in 60 Minutes, they found like seven people who had this gift in America. And it was amazing. They'd be like, when did Michael Jackson die? September 27th, you know, 2009. Or in the, it'd be like, when did the Pittsburgh Steelers win their third Super Bowl? And they'd be like, no. When did the Eagles win the Super Bowl? Never. All right, you got a real gift, sir. Um, unless you have that kind of gift, most of us, we forget the sermon. Hey, I ain't, I ain't angry at you. I'm not mad at you because you forgot my sermon. You know, it's okay. I forget my own sermon. All right. You could tell us the spirit of God flowing through me because sometimes I forget my own sermon. All right, I understand, but here, here's the thing. I know that if you meditate on it, you will treasure it, you will memorize the Bible verses associated with it. If you will learn it, like you want to teach it to somebody else who you know needs it. You know, sometimes you get a sermon and the whole time you're thinking of somebody else. You're like, man, that person needs to be here. Man, that person needs this message, but too bad they're not here. But here's the thing. You just got the word. (laughs) You're thinking about that person. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit highlighting the message. So that you can go and teach it to them later. There are people who do that every single week. And they bless people. They set people free. You know, church needs to go outside of those four walls, right? We need to take the kingdom outside these four walls. Which means we need to be ready. Ready to share the words of our spiritual father wherever we go. In the parable of the ten minas... In Luke chapter 19, 
There's two parables that look similar. One's the parable of talents. One's the parable of ten minus. Uh, in the parable of the talents, the servants in the parable got different amounts of talents. The Bible says each according to his ability. But in the parable of the ten minus, everybody gets one mina. There are ten servants in the parable. All of them get one mina each. Okay, and and uh, if you don't know what a mina is, a mina is three months' wages according to the ESV footnote. The NIV footnote is going to tell you something else because I don't know. They don't like each other. I don't know, but it's it's, some, it's a large sum of money. Okay, let's say three months' wages. Let's say about eight thousand dollars, seven eight thousand dollars. Right? Everybody gets $8,000. And at the end of the parable, the master confronts the servants and says, what do you do with my mina? And the first servant says, look, uh, master, I've produced, what is it, like 10 minas more? He says, I have produced 10 minas more. And the master says to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little... You shall have authority over ten cities. Whoa! Ten cities? What the? You know, you take $7,000 and you give your master back $70,000. And all of a sudden he says, you can be in charge of ten cities. Whoa! Singapore, Hong Kong, Tokyo, you're in charge. That's pretty crazy. The next guy says, I brought five minus with the one you gave me. And the master says, all right, well, well done. You can be in charge of five cities. The last guy comes and says, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You know that I'm a, if you know that I'm a severe man, which is not true, by the way. Is God a... Severe man? Is he a severe Lord? That's a lie of the enemy. See, Satan in this parable used fear to keep this man from taking any risks or taking any steps of faith, in other words. So what did he do? He hid it. Now, what, what am I getting at? What I'm getting at is in the parable of the talents, they got different amounts. That could probably be associated with gifts. Like Marcus has gotten like Way more talents in sports than I have. John Michael also has way more talents. I mean, when God gave out talents for sports, I mean, I was like asleep or something like that. Like, I I was in a different line. I was waiting for something else. And, um, and, And God gives out these talents each according to his ability. But the minus, he gives everybody equal amount. Isn't that interesting? So the minus, I think, represents anything where everybody gets an equal amount. What's one thing you guys get every single week? Everybody gets the same thing. It's the word. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Everybody, there's about 80 of you in here right now. All right. All 80 of you are getting the same message. But where one person sitting down gets set free, they get healed, they go to another new level of faith... Uh, they search the scriptures. They just, they just eat it all up. There's a, the, your neighbor does nothing with that word. They hear the same message, listen to the same praise songs, sit in the same presence of the Lord. One person gets it. The other person buries it. 
And that's what a lot of young people are doing today in the church. And what I want to preach is, we need to stop burying the words of our Father. We need to stop burying the mina that God gives and trusts to us. He, he says, here is a mina. What are you going to do with it? Shelly, Lisa, where's Ryan Duker? <laughs> Jamie Byung. Here is a word. Here is a teaching. Here it is. Do something with it. And you say, all right, here's the teaching. Okay. And one person goes and multiplies it. And a month later, 10 people have the same teaching in their hearts that weren't even at the service. But then another person, uh, what teaching? You know, the, the real good one day where you were crying and you got blessed. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just hit it. Because, you know, I was afraid I'm going to look like a fool. I was afraid of what my friends might think about me. So I just hit it. Is that okay? And the parable is telling us it's not okay. <laughs> we need to learn to treasure the words that God trusts to us. Um, I'm going to teach you real quick. Three kinds of words that your spiritual father can give you. Three kinds. Number one, words of doctrine. Number two, words of identity. Number three, words of wisdom. Words of doctrine, words of identity, words of wisdom. Now, all three kinds of these words, they can be delivered in various ways. They can be delivered through teaching, through preaching, through prophecy, through advice, through counsel. Right? Or even just through a simple prayer. You can receive a word of identity. You know, we do that at Sunday Swim. You know, you know sometimes I feel like very repetitive. And generally, I like fresh things. I like new things. So, but then when I, whenever I pray for people at Sunday Swim, especially at Hillside, I get the same thing over and over and over again. And so I pretty much, I feel like a broken record. I'm just repeating myself. And I'm just thinking everybody who's sitting down who got the same word, you know, the week before is thinking, hey, that's not a, a specific prophecy. That's the same word you spoke to me. And, and, you know, I feel a little bit like, you know, like a broken record, you know. Uh, the Lord is saying, you are a son. You are established in sonship, my brother. The Lord loves you. He fully accepts. He's pleased with your heart. Stop beating yourself up. You know, I'm just saying the same thing over and over. And these are words of identity. And a lot of times I underestimate the power it has on people. And what I don't understand is when I do that, that person has been set in order. Things that were confusing, full of doubt, out of order. Through that word of identity, man, boom, it got set in order. And they're living a much more higher quality of life now. They're able to walk in faith now. Um, and so there's three kinds, right? There's, and, and it gets delivered in all these different ways. Teaching, preaching, prophecy, counsel, or advice. Number one, words of doctrine. Words of doctrine. It says in Acts 4.42 that the first believers, the first 3,000 believers that got saved at the day of Pentecost, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me ask you today, how many of you guys devote yourselves to the teaching and preaching of this house? I know what some of y'all are thinking. Let me read your mail. Some of y'all are thinking, Pastor Christian, when you write a book, I'll devote myself to your teaching. 
And I will. I will, but how many of you guys in here would say you have devoted yourself to the teaching of this house, to the apostolic teachings that go out from this house? And most of us, you know, when I tell you, hey, you need to take the seminar ministries of the Holy Spirit. You need to take it. This is your third time. Well, I want you to take it four times. And the person is like, oh, again, I have to take the seminar again. I know it. All right, well, can you teach it to somebody? That's not fair. I'm not a preacher. Okay, well, well, look, if you really got it three or four times and you know it, you should know it. You know, is the, if the only time you skim the notes is during the seminar, you're not really devoting yourself to anything. You know, and a, a lot of us in here, we devote ourselves to Bill Johnson's teaching. Rick Joyner's teaching. We devote ourselves to all these. You know why we do it? Because they wrote a book with a nice cover that sold well. But here's, well, here's a little revelation for you. Rick Joyner is not pastoring this house. So there are things that Rick Joyner will actually teach that I will close my heart toward. And I'll be like, uh, no, that has nothing to do with anything. Or there are actually things and methods that Bill Johnson promotes that doesn't really fit the calling of our house. And so you got to learn how to eat the meat and throw out the bones when you go after all these different authors and speakers. Now, I'm not discouraging you from doing that. But what I want to start to teach the house to do is let that be supplemental. And the main teaching and doctrine you need to get is from this house. It's from the house that you're committed to. Here's how you can tell. I can tell somebody's not in sonship. I teach something... I preach it over and over again, and they come up, and they tell me all this other stuff that doesn't really fit with the house, and insist that we do it that way. And I'm like, where'd you get that from? Rick Joyner. All right. When's the last time you talked to Rick Joyner? Never. Well, you know, I, I got a retweet once on my Twitter account. That's good for you, man. And, and there's so many orphans. Who have no relationship with all these spiritual fathers. And they think they're being shepherded by them. You get, you, you get the words of that person. But here's the thing. You also. There needs to be some kind of relationship. You know. Some kind of like active voice. That can actually speak specifically into your life. And all the sons and daughters of this house. I do that for them. Even if I don't do it one on one with you. I do it through the small group leaders I've appointed. Why do you think that I appoint the leaders that I do and entrust them with authority? Here's what I do. When I see a person uh, this past yesterday, we commissioned uh, Pastor Marcus Myunghwa and Pastor John to the apostolic level of leadership, which is the highest ranking of leadership in our house, which means there's a lot of authority that we're going to entrust to you, that we're going to send you on mission trips, on ministry trips, apostolic team trips, and we just expect you to just take that authority and run with it. You know? How am I... Do I how, what, how do I base the decision to give somebody that kind of authority? Is it based on gifting? My answer is no. It's based on whether they have my spirit. And that equates to, do they have my words? 
And the first kind of words that they need to have is the words of doctrine. So even if they disagree on predestination, right? Like Pastor Marcus will never come up here and start pounding Arminianism down your throats. Uh, if you guys don't know what that is, it's just the doctrine of election, you know, people being predestined to... Anyway, uh, he will never get up here and preach Arminianism down your throats. Why? Because he can say something gracious like, well, I don't agree with Pastor Christian, but here's what I think. But, you know, actually, I, I don't even know if you agree, if you think that way. I think you're, I think you're, you're a Calvinist, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, all right. <coughs> um, John Michael will never come up here Right? And preach something that he knows that I'm not open to. Even if he feels strongly about it, because he's a son of the house, he would discuss it with me first or he won't even preach about it at all. So I trust these fellas. They know, they have my words in them. They carry the spirit of this house. That's why I give them the authority that I do. Words of doctrine. Here's the the thing. When you don't devote yourself to the teachings of the house, you go to different houses, you visit different conferences, you visit IHOP, Bethel, and all these places, and you get confusion about doctrine. Why? Because you're trying to get doctrine like you go into a candy store. You just can't get some of this, this, this looks good, this tastes good, let me get some of that, and then, and then you just end up with a, like a really sore stomach. Uh, what, uh, a sour stomach. What am I, what am I looking for? Stomach ache. Yeah. <laughs> Upset stomach. <laughs> and what, what you really need to do is you got to know centrally the doctrine of the house that you're committed to. I mean, if you don't, really don't like the doctrine of the house, look, there are other churches in the city that have radically different ministry philosophies Radically different doctrines, not like the essential ones. Most of them are Christian, right? But they have radically different doctrines. You can go there and devote yourself to those doctrines. If you really like Bill Johnson, move to Redding, California. You really like IHOP and Mike Pickle, move to Kansas City. You really like it? Be committed over there. Go there. But if God has got you here and you feel pretty good about the doctrine of the house, you should devote yourself to the doctrine of this house. And all the other books and stuff needs to be supplemental. Um, Pastor Benjamin, you want to go get more teaching that's in alignment with his house? You just stay within the lineage. You go get Pastor Benjamin's word, it's the same spirit flowing out. Actually, you will be like, hey, didn't Pastor Christian preach that? Wait a minute, he preached it after Pastor Benjamin's date here. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. Why? Because it's in, it's in my lineage. You go to Pastor Robert Daniels, which is Pastor Benjamin's spiritual father, or you go to uh, Kirby Clements, which is Pastor Robert Daniels' spiritual father. You get any preaching and teaching from those guys, it's all within the lineage. You'll find most of it is going to line up. Most of it's going to feel, feel good with you. You know, but primarily, you need to devote yourself to the teaching of this house. Um, cults are created when Christians, you know, in, oh, man, there's Mormon, Mormon, the Mormon church is a cult. Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. And when I mean C-U-L-T, 
When I use that word, what I mean is, this is non-Christian. These people are going to hell for the ones that are fully devoted to it. Now, the sad part is, there are, I believe, and I've seen, real Christians that are part of Joel Witness Churches. And that's because they have not devoted themselves to a good spiritual father, or they have not devoted themselves to apostolic teaching. When you don't have apostolic teaching, you get liberal teaching. When you, you see, when you try to move in the prophetic and open yourselves up to prophetic gifts and prophetic, all this, right? When you don't have the apostolic, because apostles first, the prophets second, right? When you have the prophetic without the apostolic, man, I think they look, look, look crazy. Because nobody is there to say, I bear witness with that. That is not the Lord. That is from God. That is just your imagination. There's nobody to do that. So pro- prophetic people, nobody is able to really usurp somebody else's opinion. So everybody's throwing out their prophetic visions and creative prophet- prophecies. And nobody knows how to set the order in the house. And this is what's happening at um, the... the uh, oh, man, I shouldn't mention it. Okay, all right. Keep it to myself. Hallelujah! <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for helping me guard the, the doors of my mouth. Hallelujah. Uh, liberal teaching. Cults are created when the, the people in the body of Christ do not devote themselves to the words of doctrine that come from trusted spiritual fathers. Uh, second is a word of identity. Words of identity. A spiritual father, when they speak words of identity over you, man, it's powerful. When they speak words of affirmation, they, they speak out who you are. Young man, you are bright. God has given you an intelligent mind. And, and, the, and the pastor doesn't say that for everybody. But he said it for you. But guess what? The secret is, when you were growing up, your earthly father kept saying, you're stupid. You're stupid. Man, can't you do anything right? Or you had a stepfather. You, you knucklehead. You idiot. You dumb bleep. I didn't say it. <laughs> and, and so the spiritual father, the pastor simply says, you're intelligent. And all of a sudden he starts to cry. <laughs> and people are like, whoa, what's going on there? And because God is using the words of a father to heal the words of a father. The words of identity. Man, I'm telling you, man, it's so important that you know who you are. Before you go out and serve, 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 and do, do, do. There's too many Christians in, a, in the missions movement. This is one of the drawbacks of the missions movement. It's go, go, go. Do, do, do. Serve, serve, serve. Missions, missions, missions. Uh, you got saved yesterday? All right, it's time for you to hit Africa today. You know, you go to Urbana conference. I've been to Urbana. You know, their whole goal is to get all 10, 15,000 college students that are there, all of them to commit one to 10 years of missions uh, work in their youth. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about that. It's beautiful because they're trying to raise up a new uh, student volunteer movement. Campus Crusade, all our, all our conferences, our goal is if you're not saved, to get you saved and for you to commit to missions before you even get the discipleship. And then discipleship is simply the process in which it prepares you for the missions trip that you committed to. And, and this is great that we're getting mo- people mobilized to do the work of God. But it's a dangerous thing to continue to do the work of God b- without knowing who you really are. 
Because here's what happens. When you don't know who you really are, you're, you're like an orphan. And an orphan, when they do something, they're busy with something, they feel pretty good about themselves. Because their identity, their sense of worth comes from what they do. So as long as they're busy and productive, they feel pretty good about themselves. But when that mission trip ends and they come home back to New York City, and they're not able to do the work of God in New York City the same way they were doing it in Japan, they just suddenly feel, who am I? Am I valuable? Does anyone love me? Does anyone care? They have these like major central identity issues. Why? Because their identity was never established through the voice of a spiritual father. So important. Some people, they're established in their identity through their earthly father. That's good. Like John Michael, man, look at this boy, man. Her earthly father did all these amazing things on him. You know? I'm just putting icing on the, on, the, on the cake, you know? I'm just, you know? Some people already have that. Other people, man, you're, you guys are a mess. You're going from job to job, place to place, serving, busy, busy. And all you really need to do is when somebody says, when, when Pastor Marcus, as an extension of my authority, by the way, when Pastor Marcus and Pastor John Michael, they're leading Sunday Swim, it's not just Pastor Marcus leading. It's Pastor Christian leading. Because Pastor Marcus wouldn't even be able to lead a Sunday Swim if I didn't appoint him to do it. So make no mistake about it. Oh, Pastor Christian doesn't care. All right, look, I haven't been here at Sunday Swim in a while. I confess. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to set aside a Sunday where I can be here and join you all for Sunday swim. But here's the thing. I'm already here every week. Through a man who carries the spirit of the house. And when he says, Yanti, come up. Esther, come up. You are beautiful in God's sight. You're like, psh, psh, you're like blocking it. No, I'm not. I say it again. The Lord is putting it on my heart. You are beautiful in God's sight. And that person is dealing with maybe self-esteem issues, eating disorders. And through the words of identity of a spiritual father, that person, boom, is getting set free from the eating disorder. You know, our pastor Myung-Hwa, she had an eating disorder with bulimia for years. It's like six years she had it. And she went through all this healing and deliverance. She took all these different steps. It wasn't ending. She would have this um, scar on her finger. And people who have bulimia, the way you can tell they have bulimia is they either have band-aids across their knuckles or they have really severe cut scars on their knuckles. That's because they're constantly throwing up and their teeth marks are cutting their knuckles. She had this huge scar on her finger all the time. Her voice was all raspy, more raspy than it is now. And um, you know how she got set free? Pastor Aaron just was talking to her casually. And Melwan opened up, and Pastor Aaron just said something. What'd you say, honey? He said, like, something like, you're beautiful, stop doing that. Something like that. <laughs> stop doing that, or something like that. And all of a sudden, Melwan got set free. Why? How did that happen? Because the words are spirit and life. And when it comes to the voice of an authority, it has that kind of potent power to set you free from believing that you've been struggling with for six years. Third kind is the words of wisdom. This is like advice, counsel to specific people, to specific situations that a person is faced with. Words of wisdom. Um, by the way, 
even if you don't have one-on-one time with Pastor Christian, you can get words of doctrine, obviously through the podcast, through sitting through the Sunday services, hearing the teaching, taking notes, devoting yourself, re-listening to it, looking at the Bible verses, whatever. You can get the words of doctrine. You can get the words of identity. Even if I don't personally pray for you, if a leader I have appointed prays for you, you're getting it from me. It's not that Pastor Christian doesn't care. It's that Pastor Christian, there's only one of him. And even if I want to pray for all y'all tonight, I could not pray as specific and prophetic as when Marcus just picks you out and prays for you. Or when John Michael just says those words of identity over you. Or your small group leaders. Come on now. Your small group leaders will speak and things will come into order in your life. If you despise your words, the words of your small group leader, nothing's going to happen. You know, one of the things that a, a prophet... Samuel indicted King Saul on when Saul was giving specific instructions to defeat and destroy the Amalekites when he didn't do that. You know what Samuel prophesied? He said, why did you despise the word of the Lord? And Saul's like, what are you talking about? Matt, that was just some prophecy that, you know, I could pick and choose what I could, you know, what I could obey, you know, and, you know, all the pressure from the people. And look, man, these goats, man, these are good goats. These are good, good sheep, man. We could have some good meat tonight. And, you know, the king, you know, the king, man, I was just kind of having a conversation with him. He just seems like such a bad guy. And God is trying to execute his vengeance on the Malachites through his people. And Saul disobeys the word. And so, Samuel says, why did you despise the word of the Lord? And you know what? Sometimes that's what your small group leaders need to do, say to you. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? We have talked about that issue four times this past month. And I have not changed my advice on it. Why are you still struggling? Why are you despising the word of the Lord? I thought it was just your advice. Okay, well, well, I'm your small group leader. I'm in a place of authority. I've been appointed by Pastor Christian and Aaron to serve you, to lead you. And as much authority you allow me to have over your life, that's the amount of power of God that's going to get released to help you. If you just want to just give me this little bit of authority, just give me a little bit of advice, but don't tell me what to do. Give me suggestions. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm dating this, uh, this boyfriend and yeah, so we slept together. It happens. But we're committed to stop. Okay, well, um, I think maybe it's time for you to walk away from this relationship. What do you think? They're like, no, don't talk like that. And they want to keep it over here. They don't want you to speak into it. Right? But here's the thing. You're not giving them the authority to speak into it. But when you give them the full authority to speak into it, I, you know, for people that give me full authority to speak into, I don't even say a word. And they just explain it. Uh, I met this girl. There's brothers at Hillside that's done this, right? I met this girl. You know, she's really great. And uh, we kind of hooked up. But, you know, she's uh, not even a Christian. But she's committed to coming out to church here. Uh, she came out once. She, actually, she didn't come out. But she, she met some of our Emmaus kids and really liked them. And, uh, and then I'll just look at them. I'll go. And then they'll go, all right. Okay, I think I know what to do. That's it. For a person that's walking in sonship, 
I don't even have to say a word. They give me the authority to speak in their life. I mean, they know enough of my teaching. They know enough of my wisdom. The words of wisdom, words of identity I spoke of. They know enough. It's already in them. The spirit is already in them. The, they know the heart that I carry. And so, you know, I don't even have to say a word. And they're just, all right, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go do what I need to do. <laughs> Can you pray for me, though? I'll pray for you. Uh, our sister Anna Rowe uh, at the Hillside campus, she's on the Busan church plant team. And four days ago, she wrote me an email telling me that she got a part-time job offer. And uh, all the church plant team members are required to move down to the city of Busan by the end of the year, by the end of December. And this part-time job offer she got because her full-time job just ended. And so she, she can't find a full-time job with just hire her for four and five months, you know. So she finds this part-time job, but they require, they're requiring of her to stay till January 31st. And so she's, she writes me and says, is this okay? You know, I, I, my commitment's to Busan first, so I understand if you say no. But it's so hard to find a job. Can you just, um, yeah, just let me know what you think, right? And then she comes down to Busan uh, a, a day or two later. And we're just walking casually. And she says, you know, do you remember the email that I wrote you? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about that email? <laughs> and so she, you know, she tells me. And then I go, and I go you know what? I don't think you should take the job. I mean, just me, but you know, and I, I'm watching for her reaction. Is she going to give me the authority to speak into it? If she's not, then I got to package it as advice. I got to package it as a suggestion, but I'm getting a clarity in my spirit. Here's the thing to you, because you don't really honor a spiritual leader as your authority. They're, they're constantly having to package prophecies and words that they get for you as suggestions. But if you really honor them for what they are, it'll be a lot more efficient. You know what I mean? And so I looked at her and she was like just ready to hear whatever I had to say. So I was just like, all right, well, you know, just take it from me. I don't think you should take the job. You know, here's, here's what I sense. I think this is a test. And because you already made the commitment to God about Pusan, if you will honor the Lord about your original commitment, even if you don't take this job offer, God will bless you. See it as a test. And she's like, ah, oh, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> and so... Um, uh, this morning, she wrote me an email, and uh, I won't read it into, into its entirety, but pretty much she, got a, uh, she talked to the guy who offered her the job, and the guy said, can you please stay to January 31st? And she said, I'm sorry, uh, I have previous commitment, so I'm going to have to say no. I'm willing to work now until the end of the year, but I cannot stay to January 31st. You know what the guy said? He said, we really need somebody that can stay to January 31st. All right, we'll hire you. All right, so she got the job. Not on their terms. But on the terms of the commitment she made to the Lord. Now, could she have known that that was going to happen? Absolutely not. And if she just went forward without the words of wisdom from her spiritual father, what would have happened? She would have been trapped into a contract and missed the first crucial month of meeting with the church plant team every single week to pray together and then go out evangelizing together. And then she would have came in February feeling all like an outsider, you know? Now, it's like uh, even uh, John Michael's story, right? John Michael, he gets this prophetic revelation, just like, wow! Like, you know, like our, he, he, he was like actually um, interested in, in another girl, praying about her, but then, you know... 
well, not really, but you know, he 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 kind of was uh, interested for a moment. But then, in contrast to that girl, God just kind of awakened his eyes to sky, right? And so when he got awakened to sky, he was so excited. He was like ready to ask her out like that same weekend, you know. And uh, you know, I have been you know uh, spending time with Sky. We had done the the renovation for this church facility together and things like that. So I knew her situation. And so from what I knew about her and the timing of what was going on, I just felt real clarity. And I just said, he, he said, what do you think I should do? And I said, with the words of wisdom, I just gave him, I just said, hey, I think you should take a month to pray about it. All right, I feel good about it. But I want you to take a month to let God speak into this. All right, and so John Michael's like, all right, good. All right, I'll wait a month. Okay, and during that month, Sky went back to the States and God was doing all this stuff with her family that really she needed to walk out alone. You know, uh, things with some other friends back there that she needed to walk out alone. And when she came back from the States, she was like a totally different girl. She, she had the breakthroughs and she was at a different place and clarity and, and, and just the will of God for her life. She was ready. And then and John Michael was like, all right, what do you think now? I'm like, it's go time. <laughs> and he asked her out, and it, things just, whew, just took off, you know. And so, you know, John Michael and I always talk about that. He always says, man, I really appreciate you giving me, giving me that advice. Because I think if I did ask her out too soon, you know, it might, it might have messed things up or delayed things a little bit, you know. And so, you know, the words of wisdom... You know, these are words that, you know, you want to go and seek like you will seek out silver. Yeah. And so I want to just take this time and I want to, uh, I want to, so words of um, doctrine, words of identity and the words of wisdom. Uh, there are people in the churches, they are thirsting for the words of a spiritual father. So many of you feel like orphans in so many different ways. And even in the absence of an earthly father, I'm telling you, God used a spiritual father to set things straight that your earthly father failed. You know, when it comes down to it, the spiritual father, a good one, if you don't think I'm a good one, forget about it. But a good spiritual father, God uses that man or God uses that woman Right to pour out his wisdom, words of identity. To pour out wisdom, uh, words. Oh, I just say that again. I just said that words of um, doctrine. He pours that out through the man of God into your life. When you do it, try to go direct. You have a direct line to heaven, by the way. You can pray all that stuff, right? You can confess your sins. But when you try to do it for yourself, doctrine. Do it for yourself, identity. Marcus, you are a son. Marcus, you are beautiful. Like, you try to do it for yourself, you feel like Stuart Smalley, you know, and you might feel like you're not going nowhere. But when somebody else does, I'm telling you, it's much, much more powerful. And then the words of wisdom. Are you giving advice to yourself? That's foolishness. You need the advice of others. And especially the word of advice, words of advice, words of wisdom from your spiritual authority. So I want you to close your eyes right now, all right? I want to, I want to take this time to pray for a few people.
Some of you in here, you guys are walking in sonship, and you look inside of your bank account, and your balance is just overflowing with the words of your spiritual father, overflowing with wisdom, overflowing with doctrine, overflowing with words of identity. But then there's other people in here, you look inside of your, ba- uh, your account, and your balance is just... It's just empty. Or it even feels like you're, you're in debt. It's a negative account. Negative balance. And you're longing. You're thirsting. For the words of a spiritual father to set you free. To help you to reach new levels. To help you to put behind the past. And move forward into your God-given future. And uh, just getting a prophetic word right now for many people in this room. Uh, some of you have issues with authority. And uh, you've been beating yourself up over it. And you're like, man, why can't I just submit to authority? Why do I distrust authority? Why am I so rebellious sometimes? Why can't I just stay committed to one place? Why do I despise authority? And you beat yourself over the head about it. And here's the word of the Lord for you. It's not your fault. Don't beat yourself up. It's not that you're in rebellion. It's just that you're wounded. You've been wounded by spiritual authorities. And that's why you distrust spiritual authorities. The pastor... The Bible study teacher, the missions director that you trusted, they betrayed you. They said negative things about you. They said negative things over you. They abandoned you. And because of these experiences, you've been wounded. And that's the real reason why you're struggling with authority. And here's what's going to set you free. You need to understand it's not your fault. And what you really need is the healing touch of God. What you really need is a season of healing in which God sets in order those things that have been set out of order through the lies of Satan. And here's what's going to really set you free is that when you trust a man of God that you deem to be wise, that you deem to be spirit-filled, when you trust a man of God with that kind of authority... It's actually you opening up your heart to God the Father. Not you opening your heart to a man or to a woman on the earth. You are opening up your heart to God the Father. Because it's God who has appointed and it's God who is dealing with the man of God that he has set over the house. So if you're in here and you feel like you struggle struggle with authority issues, I want you to stand up. I believe God's going to kickstart a season of healing in your heart. That's going to eliminate all that poison of distrust. I want also the people in here that you feel like an orphan in a lot of ways, especially spiritually. You feel like an orphan. You're going from doctrine to doctrine. You're going from book and author to author. And you feel lost. 
I want you to stand up as well. It's because the orphan spirit is not a spirit that needs to be cast out. It needs to be healed. And the orphan spirit will leave. The orphan spirit will be replaced by the spirit of sonship. So if you feel like that, you feel like you're struggling, you feel like an orphan, I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. All right, let's have some of the altar leaders come to the front.